0: Welcome to the New Kind of Man podcast. This is episode 67. At our New Kind of Man, we are growing stronger and more capable men. If you've been around the New Man movement for a while, you know what we're about. And I just want to say thanks for sticking with us and being a listener and subscriber and for sharing this podcast with friends. It means a lot. Actually, that's the the best thing that you can do is share it with someone else. And that's just the best way you can say thank you for the work that is being done here at A New Kind of Man. Well, here at A New Kind of Man, uh, we also have a lot of first-time listeners who are just joining in. And I just want to say thanks for listening in. Thank you for just kind of leaning into the community and this podcast. It's good to have you on board. You are in good company. As a matter of fact, at A New Kind of Man, this podcast, we have interviewed Navy SEALs, CEOs, coaches, experts, and leadership, authors, and regular guys just like you and I. Many of the guests are still connected because they believe in the mission. And the mission is about helping all of us to become better men. So you, the listener, are actually the heroes of this podcast. It's not me. It's you. You're the heroes. As you apply the principles that are talked about on this podcast, you become heroic when you put these things into action. As a matter of fact, you make it all worthwhile. And without you, there would be no show Whatsoever. Well, in this episode, Jay Balaton and I, we talk about the one thing that every man needs. And this is what Jay says Every man needs, wait for it, wait for it, self awareness. Jason's heart, Jay, is, I referred to him in the podcast, Jay's heart is to see the emotional prosperity increase through his work in pastoring, counseling, teaching, and equipping, even through podcasts just like this one. He has a lot of insight and wisdom. And he has brought that into multiple situations through his work for the last 15 years. He's worked at Bethel Church. He's on staff there, and he brings that insight and wisdom to help both the leadership there and then also families there. Uh, He's doing incredible work in the realm of emotional health and also pastoral care. And he also does a lot of work in men's ministry, ministering to men all over the world. So Jay's doing good work. This is a great conversation. And before I jump into the conversation, I want to remind you of the new man report. I don't know if you've joined up yet, but go to the show notes. Even right now, pause this, go to the show notes, hit the link for the new man report. You want this weekly dose of masculine inspiration. It comes in your inbox on Thursday mornings. That's the set time to get it. You get it Thursday morning, all fueled up, ready for all those engagements that you have over the weekend. The new man report. It's a weekly email blast. I don't sell you anything. It's just things maybe that are interesting uh, interesting for me and I share to you. There's always nuggets to take away, either one or multiple, based off a quote or something I'm reading. Hopefully, it inspires you. The number of subscribers has increased every single week that I've had it. If you haven't joined the new man report, do so today. The link is in the show notes. Also, I want to talk about Men of Iron. If you're interested in mentoring and helping uh, another man to become a better man, or you to become a better man. Maybe you want to lean into Men of Iron. You can go to their website at menofiron.org. I believe so much in Men of Iron. I'm actually going to be a regular contributor into the great work they're doing. This is actually going to start here in the next couple weeks, and I will be taking the reins of their podcast that will will make a pretty big shift in the next couple months it's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to the mission and vision behind Men of Iron. Again, so much so that I am investing in it and investing this group of guys because ultimately we want to change the world one man at a time, one family at a time, one business at a time, one marriage at a time. Join us. Well, now let's get on to this conversation that I had with Jay Valentin. I will let you know, this is episode one and there will be another episode that drops next week. So much of this became kind of technical and at about minute 45-ish of the conversation, I cut it so you could take a breather and catch, it, uh, catch up next week to get the, the rest of the information and it's a great conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Today on the show we have Jay Valiton. Jay Valiton has been part of Bethel Church for over fifteen years. He's been on the core team there, and he and his bride have four awesome kids, and they live in Redding, California. And if that doesn't keep him busy enough, he also leads a men's movement called BraveCo, and also all the stuff at the church. And he is uh, somebody who mentors, and he coaches, and he counsels. He's an all-around busy guy, and he has a lot of great things to say. And I believe you're going to say some of those to us today. So, Jay, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Chad.
1: It's uh, it's awesome to be here with you.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure. And, you know, I've been following you for a little bit on IG, and I really love your message. And, and if guys, they, you know, as a follow-up to this conversation, they're going to get all kinds of nuggets for sure. But also as a follow-up, go on and, and check out Jay's things that he has online because we're not going to be able to cover all of the nuggets that you kind of put out there. So I know much of what we're going to talk about today, most likely they can have all sorts of follow-ups just by looking at your post or YouTube videos. And I'll put some of that in the show notes as well. So uh, just tell us about your journey. Like what, what have you been up to? I just gave like a 30,000 foot view. Who are you? What's your story? And what you up to these days?
1: (laughs) Yeah, those are, those are big questions. Um, Yeah. I grew up in a small town uh, in the mountains and loved it. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a mountain man at heart, uh, just, just, uh, being born and raised there. So, <clears throat> you know, life started out pretty innocent, um, for me and, uh, but like kind of like small town kids do, I, you know, I got married young, uh, there wasn't much to do. So, you know, I didn't, I, I kind of feel like growing up, like, I feel like I didn't even know the world existed it, anything outside of like Weaverville. Where I lived, and then there's Reading, the big city, 50 minutes away. Um, beyond that, like I just, I don't know. Grew up in this really sheltered, beautiful life, and so got married really young at 18. Had kids by the time I was 19. Wow. Uh, three kids by the time I was 24. What? <laughs> <laughs> wow well, that that is a
0: lot really fast.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, got in the ministry at 24 years old uh, here at Bethel Church, and was helping to oversee the school of ministry uh, actually at that time I was, I was just a pastor uh at the school of ministry and then eventually helped to oversee the school of ministry um Bethel School school supernatural ministry if, if guys are looking it up um basically a, a bible college type of field ministry school uh, three-year ministry school and so i did that for quite a few years and in 2007 slash eight my wife uh left me and the kids ended up going through a divorce which is a really long story that we don't, I mean, you can ask questions, but we don't have a ton of time for that today. Mm -hmm. Ended up going through a divorce. um, And, and, you know, that, that kind of like, that's like hell coming to breakfast. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, uh, wow. I, my divorce felt like I woke up one day and my life was on fire. God, I didn't see it coming. Uh, I didn't. I had no idea what was happening. Um, obviously, you have to know what's happening in order to to get a divorce. But what the things that led up to that, and then my wife leaving, that just didn't see it coming at all. And um, ended up, you know, spent three years raising the kids by myself and just uh, hustling, uh, scrapping, surviving. And everybody knocks surviving. Everybody knocks living this, uh, you know, living in survival mode until you have to frigging figure it out. Yeah. And then you start to realize like, oh, there's, there's something beautiful to knowing how to survive. You mm-hmm. don't want to live there forever, but sometimes we got to put our big boy pants on and, and do it. Well, sometimes um, and-
0: I think when that happens too, we kind of tap into another part of us. We never thought it existed.
2: 100%. Because when everything's
0: comfortable, we just kind of rock on with life, and we just kind of everything's hunky dory to use those kind of old-fashioned terms. But yeah. I think you know when we get put in a in a situation like yours, or, or something where it's a it's a quote unquote survival mode, I think that that we tap into a part of us. We really see who we are, see what we're made of. Where do we go in that moment?
1: Yeah, I liken it a lot to um, my years fighting fire. I fought fire um, in two thousand two thousand one. And I always say that, like, a man who doesn't know his limits, doesn't know what happens when you get to the end of yourself, you're always afraid. If you never have hit your limit before, for, for, let's say, physical exercise, for instance, uh, you know, that we'd go on fires. And sometimes if you're the initial person, I've ran a chainsaw for 30 hours before, you know, just day and night and into the next day. And if you don't know that you can do that, you're scared. Mm-hmm. You're trying to. You're always trying to reserve. You're always trying to hold back. And, uh, and and I'm sure we'll talk more about this today. But I really feel like that's a lot of what happened to me in being married early, having kids early, um, fighting fires, uh, being in ministry, going through divorce. Mm. Is I found emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, my limits. Mm. And that's a gift. If something happens, you know. It, it, I mean, the trauma
0: it, itself is, it seems uh, maybe unnecessarily harsh. And I certainly don't mean that trauma is, is, is a gift in that regard. But yet what we do with it can be a gift. Because when we face that trauma, and, some, and trauma comes too by not knowing our limits. Mm-hmm. I mean, many of the guys who are listening to this right now, they, they typically, they run at red line. You know, it's just a matter, is it 7,000 RPM or 9,000 RPM? And and maybe they can, they're so convinced that they can just, normal for them is 7,000, you know, yep. it's 7K and they know at 9K they're going to blow up and it's, it's, it's over for them. But I think that there's, there's a lie that's perpetuated too, that I can operate at that 7K and that the lie is that's normal.
1: Yeah. There's so many factors that play into that nowadays. And, and, um, why we feel the need to go, 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 and never be able to, to get off of, get out of survival mode. And mm-hmm. so I spent a long time, I mean, I, I went through the divorce and was just fighting, you know, fighting to get my kids out of pain, Um, fighting to work myself through the pain. Mm-hmm. I wrote a book during that time, uh, winning the war within. And, um, you know, a year and a half later, ended up uh, going through a nervous breakdown. Mm. Which my nervous breakdown actually two years later ended up going through a nervous breakdown. My nervous breakdown, we were not wasn't a result of my divorce. It was a result of so I'd worked myself through the pain, got to a place where okay I'm powerful like I'm I'm gonna kick butt, dude. I'm freaking been tied up on this leash. I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. So I get, uh, emotionally well, mentally, well, spiritually, well, physically, well, stronger than I'd ever been, been working out. And I started taking on all these opportunities. Right. So I started writing a book, um, started dating my now wife, um, uh, got on. My dad asked me to be on his board for his ministry, jumped on that. Uh, I was working with sex addicts, um, in and in a men's group you know, overseeing the school of ministry. So I had 60 students that I was over and pastoring those students and then, um, doing counseling appointments on the side. And then I started to help lead moral revolution. So I was traveling and speaking uh, to young people, you know, about sexuality, healthy sexuality.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, my body just went, dude, you're done. Mm-hmm. Like you're done. And I kept, I kept pushing, I kept pushing and pushing and pushing off. Oh, I don't, if I don't do this opportunity, like I'm going to miss out. And if I don't do this counseling session, you know, this guy's hurting. And if I don't mm-hmm. do this thing and it wasn't like bad stuff, I mean, none of it you, could you stop and say, you need to put that down because that's a waste of your time
2: mm-hmm.
1: or, Hey, you shouldn't do that. You know, those are bad things. Mm-hmm. All of it was like good stuff. That was, that was just, I just kept throwing stuff and throwing stuff, and throwing stuff on my pack. Until I couldn't walk anymore. And, um, you know, if you've never been in a nervous breakdown before, if you never had tons of anxiety that you can't get out of or depression, uh, you don't know what it's like. It's easy to judge it. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to be the Christian that says, you know, I don't believe Christians should be on medication (laughs) when you've never been in that. And I I spent nine months just trying to work through it, uh, without the help of medication. And, um, it was hell, you know, I'd wake up, gosh, lots of, lots of times I'd wake up middle of the night, uh, had to have three and four wet dreams a night Mm -hmm. uh, because my body was trying to cope with all the crazy emotions. And those are things that guys feel like it's embarrassing to talk about, but that's just the fact that that's what was happening Mm -hmm. in my life and have anxiety all day long. Um, so, you know, my, my journey out of that was some medication and, then doing, doing the work, putting stuff down and starting to, to go, okay, I got to recalibrate my life. I can't let my life run me. I've got to restructure.
0: There's a lot there, you know, and even the how your body was responding in a such a way that you that your mind should have, should have like caught those. You should have had an awareness before it actually got to the point that it did to where you're literally having a nervous breakdown. Now, through that, I know that you've had to learn all sorts of self-awareness. And and unfortunately, it's oftentimes we we become keenly aware of ourself only after we face trauma or deep loss. And yeah. that's just a sad part of reality. You know, my this podcast is called New Kind of Man. And, and oftentimes, I, I even highlight stories of men like yourself who've gone through trauma or pain or whether it was induced by someone else or induced by their themselves intentionally or unintentionally and how they've come out the other side of it and what they've changed in for us to have a conversation like this one where we sit down and say okay what did you learn from it and are there any best practices that we can pass on to the next guy because I know what you and I both want we're not sadistic people we want to help other people to not go through the same things that we did yeah and so how would you be able to help a guy with like with that bit of backstory, how would you be able to help a guy to say, uh, to become more self-aware?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I always say like, if there was one tool I could give a guy, it would be Mm self-awareness, which to me is the ability to know what's going on inside of you whenever you need to. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people mix that up with introspection. It's not introspection. Uh, I'm I'm not looking inside all day long uh, or looking for what's wrong with me. Uh, that's a bad, you know. That's a bad way to live. If you look for what's wrong with you, you'll find it. You'll create it. Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: but- then manifest. I mean, you'll manifest whatever you think. Then you just manifest it in your own behavior.
1: Yeah. But the ability to know what's happening in your unconscious or subconscious mind is a beautiful thing. Um, and, and here's kind of what it looks like for me. I can describe it like this: when I wake up in the morning, I have this like plumb line or this baseline, however you want to look at it. Like this. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is where I'm at. I feel good uh mentally physically spiritually emotionally i'm looking at all those different categories just really fast and i had to at first you're gonna have to be conscious of it so you're gonna need to wake up in the morning set an alarm how am i doing emotionally mentally physically spiritually Mm. and what you're really asking is is there anything i need
2: Mm.
1: what do i need mentally physically spiritually emotionally and uh, we can explain how to find needs in a little bit if we want to but So what do I need? How am I? And from there, right, if I come to work and I catch myself anywhere outside of this plumb line, anywhere outside of good. So if my anxiety spikes, if I drop down to depression, anywhere in between there, those are needs that want to be met. Mm. And I have to pay attention to go, okay, what happened a second ago? Mm. I walked in and I thought to myself. I'm going nowhere this job is going nowhere okay that's either going to spike you into anxiety or it's going to drop you into depression it's going to do one of those Mm
2: -hmm.
1: well there's a need if you stop and ask if you catch it quick enough or it's a lie one or the other if you catch it quick enough you can go okay i'm believe i'm actually believing that i'm going nowhere this job's pointless i'm doing nothing so you have no mission you have no purpose there you Mm -hmm. have uh you're gonna spend all day long wasting or building someone else's castle. You know, all those different things that you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're able to catch it really quick and figure out what the need is, you can address that, process it really fast, and then you're able to move past that. But most often what happens is that small thought, I'm not going anywhere, which is so unconscious, you don't even catch it, which leads to this life sucks which leads to, I wish I wasn't, I wish I didn't grow up in a home that sucked, which leads Mm. to wish I didn't have sucky parents, which leads to, I hate my marriage. I'm not great at it. It's her fault. You know, all those things, I mean, it spirals into, okay, if you can start to address what the heck's going on inside of you, then you can consciously go, is this true or not? Mm. If it is true, what's the need? How do I address it? Mm.
2: Yeah,
0: that reminds me of actually a conversation I had with a, a retired Navy SEAL I had fairly recently. Errol Dobler is his name. And Errol and I talked about these things. And in the book that he wrote, he actually talked about uh, this idea of of awareness and, and self-awareness. And he said that we need to go from, he says, most of the time we go from trigger to emotion to action, but we never have a stop in between. It's just like boom, boom, boom to where it's trigger, that like whatever that the thing you're talking about, Jay. It's like whatever that trigger is. Yeah. In in it's oh so okay. There's an emotion. I feel this way about myself. I feel shame. My life sucks. My marriage sucks. My job sucks. I'm going nowhere. I can't. And then you're starting to spiral. And then the action is. And and this is probably where I would just uh, deviate a little bit from from Errol. But where the the faulty way of handling it is then to act upon whatever the trigger and emotion is without actually gaining a sense of truth, because yeah. it's all perpetuated by lies.
1: Yeah, and well, that's it can nice be. not not about, every situation, but it can be. No, that's the nice thing about waking up in the morning, right? So this is what I teach people: if you can set an alarm in the morning, and basically go, "How am I doing? Mm-hmm. Right? How am I doing? What do I need?" Then before you ever get triggered, triggered, you're going, "Oh, I'm hungry."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, you know, you're really hungry when you start yelling at people. You're like, "Get right. oh, get out of the way, man!" Oh, and or you're you know. You know, you're really frustrated when you're acting out. Well, you can catch it way before that Mm -hmm. if you're self-aware enough because you don't have to manifest something negative in order to realize, oh, this is going on in my life. Mm -hmm. It always starts as a small spark. So self-awareness allows you to catch that small spark before it ever grows into this forest fire Mm -hmm. where everyone sees it. And so, you know, when you're first learning, set an alarm on your phone. I mean, these are the these are your best friends. Set an alarm on your phone for when you wake up, it should just come up and say, how are you doing? Body, mm. soul, spirit. You just take three minutes and answer that. Okay. Lunchtime. It goes on. It goes off again. It says, how's it going?
2: Mm.
1: How's it going? And you just address it really quick. You just, you just go, I'm doing pretty well. Thoughts are great. Uh, feeling positive. If you're not, if there's something that's starting to get tweaked a little bit, you address it. Okay. into the night before you go to bed, how did it go? And anything you need to clean up before you could wake up in the morning? Oh, I took this. I took on this client, and I knew I, I shouldn't take on any more clients. Okay, that's a violation. Mm-hmm. So you got to address that.
0: Yeah, and that's interesting because then you go back to the trigger to say why is it that I felt like I needed that one more client? There, there was that was the trigger part. Yeah, and emotion in in the emotion side of it is there too, but it's like. Why is it, in, in using that as, a, as an example, because I think it's a, it's a really good one, it's in that example, it's why did I say yes when I really needed to say no? In what part of me denied my own feelings to think that I was trying to please the person or to put my own personal needs aside to accommodate for maybe the mission or the, or the company or whatever it is while putting ourselves aside? I think this is what a lot of guys do, Jay. I think a lot of times they go in and for the guys that i work with over the decades, this is, this is their core problem. It's, they're doing good work. Like you, like you talked about at the onset of the conversation They're doing good work. They're, they're working hard to maybe have a hobby, but it's, it's, it's really held in check uh, considering the amount of work that they put in to work overtime to accommodate for house and cars and kids and activities and clothes and food and all of the other things trying to love their wife well, trying to to raise their kids in a way that honors God and also would bring good in the world, that they'll be just good people. And yet, I think a lot of these guys, they just, they run and they think about everybody else before they ever think about themselves. And I think this this is the core issue of a lot of guys. And a lot of guys, they spiral out of control. They either go into some sort of self-harm, whether it's whether it's uh, some sort of addictive behavior or they just become just totally disregard their marriage and then just go maybe explore sexual exploits outside of the marriage through porn or actualizing sex outside of the marriage or just a whole bunch of different things. But I think if, if we're to go back to it, many guys do this because they simply didn't know how to handle their own emotional state. And because they didn't, they started just acting out to just say, I can't deal with this anymore. But the issue wasn't someone else or even the porn. The issue was their lack of self-awareness. Do you think that that's a fair assumption or assessment? I do.
1: Yeah, I do. Um, the One of the challenges that we have, right, is if you, if you grow up um, where your needs aren't met. So let me just put it as simple as that. If you grow up in a home where your needs aren't met, you're in pain you're in pain and if you don't know what to do with pain then you figure that out young you figured out at a very young age you know n- not 15 you figure that out at three mm-hmm. four five years old mm-hmm. because before you can even remember before you were aware that you were alive you had lots of needs mm-hmm. lots of them and if your parents weren't meeting those needs in a healthy way. Everything from, look at me, dad, watch me jump, mm-hmm. to, um, I feel sad today. Stop crying. Suck it up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Toughen up. Don't be such a girl.
0: Blank. Yeah.
1: Right? Those are all emotional, mental, physical, spiritual needs that we really have, that we mm-hmm. genuinely have. So by the time you realize you're alive, eight, nine, 10, 11, you're, you've already figured out. I need to act out to get my need met. Mm. People aren't safe. I'm not safe. I don't trust me. People don't trust me. Mm. And, uh, and that shows up in a lot of different ways. The, and, and so, you know, someone, um, I can't remember who it is. It's a really famous person said the antidote or, or sorry, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety it's connection. Mm-hmm. And it's true. And, and so, you know, when you look at, well, why are people why are people medicating in pornography? Because they don't have true connection. Mm-hmm. Or why are why are people um, trying to please other people? Well, it's the easiest way to get out of their pain today. Mm-hmm. So when I stop and I just look at my life, and this is the challenge with being self-aware, if you don't have a process for dealing with your pain, I'm not saying theory. I'm not talking about biblical theory. If you don't have an actual process mm-hmm. for processing through pain, when you stop and you look at you and you still don't know how to fix it, now you feel what? Even more helpless, mm-hmm. even more powerless. You feel even more shame. Mm-hmm. And so that's a vicious cycle, isn't it? The mm-hmm. more self-aware I am, the more I realize I got all this crap. The more I realize I have all this crap, the more powerless I feel. The more powerless I feel, the more I need to medicate. i medicate the more shame i feel more Mm -hmm. shame i feel the more powerless i feel and you just you're just pleasant so you know it's really easy to stay in a life that is full of distraction where i only act out once in a while Mm -hmm. it's a prison but if i can keep this seven thousand rpms up i don't have enough time to Mm -hmm. fully blow my life or feel weak and powerless Mm -hmm. so you know the the real the the question for men is, do you know what your needs are? Do you know how to get those met in a healthy way? When you encounter pain, what's your process? Mm. Yeah, I
0: love this. This is so helpful because I think a lot of guys, and maybe a guy who's listened to this, and they've sat in the church for a long time, and they've listened to great teaching, great preaching, been in some groups or whatever, and they maybe they've just started to believe in kind of like a Jesus-only mentality. It's like, well, you know what? I I brought all these problems to Jesus, and I was just never fixed. It's like, and then then unfairly and unjustly, then we put all of our own issues on Jesus, and now we just add Jesus to the long list of people or systems or processes or churches or organizations that have failed us, when the reality is it it is, okay, Jesus does offer a solution, but also there is a plan. Like there needs to be a reprioritization of your life to become more self aware you can't just you can't just do the same thing you've always done and then expect a different outcome right that isn't that the definition of insanity that's that's what that is just doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome and whoever said that but i think that so much of what you're saying just makes sense in in this process there are practices and process to help a guy to become more self aware what kind of practices spiritual spiritual practices i know you are uh, Somebody who talks about spiritual formation, spiritual practices, just as I do. So what, what kind of things would you say to a guy on top of what we've already talked about for a guy to become self-aware? And specifically, what spiritual practices could a guy implement to uh, the plumb line is amazing Just do that multiple times a day? Um, in the morning before you really okay before you embrace your day midway and then almost like an AAR like after action reports use military vernacular at the end of the day okay how how was my emotional state was I was I online today or was I off but what could guys use on top of what you said to have like some spiritual things that they can uh, implement in their life to help them in this process
1: yeah I mean to me it's Growing up in the church, I, I feel like the church has so helped people and and so failed people all in the mm-hmm. same. And I'm just talking from my my perspective. So other yeah. people are, are, can feel free to have their own perspective yeah. on, on how they grew up. So um, how we've helped people so much is by going, these are all the ways in which you can access God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. This is, he is here to empower you. He is here to heal you. He is, Holy Spirit is there as the comforter. Mm -hmm. Um, How I feel like we've failed people is by making these really wild blanket statements Mm -hmm. that we don't actually really understand. They sound good. For instance, uh, go nail it to the cross. Mm -hmm. If you're watching this and you're saved, I'm sure that you've heard that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've heard that phrase or lay it at the foot of Jesus. Okay, what the hell does that mean?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's really good, flowery spiritual language, but it needs some qualifiers, right?
1: Well, here's the thing when I'm counseling, and I've counseled since I was very, very young, mm-hmm. very young. When I'm counseling a married couple, and she comes and she says, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling because my husband's looking at pornography. Mm-hmm. Normal scenario. Sure. Or he's struggling because she's looking at pornography, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever makes you feel good. It's fine. If I look at her or him and I say, okay, you need to take that pain and nail it to the cross. Are you, and, and then thank you so much for coming into my office. She right. goes, well, how do I do that? And I say, Oh, you need to pray. Right. Okay. So I'll pray. No, you need to read your Bible and pray. Mm-hmm. We'll read what in my Bible. Oh, you need to read the Bible and pray and lean not on your own understanding, but lean on his. Mm. Okay. I'll try that. You know what they walk away feeling like? I must be stupid. They must be stupid. They must not be connected to God because I'm trying to tell them to do something mm. that you think they haven't already tried that. You think he didn't try that or she didn't try that? Yeah. Or all of them haven't tried. I mean, all everyone I know that's a Christian has tried mm. that and is doing that. Mm. All those things that we're telling people, you know, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Fear not. Great. Well, how? Well, what do you mean? (laughs) Take every thought captive. You're like, okay, well, congratulations. And I know that I'm wearing this out. I know that podcast listeners are like, move on. I get your point. I don't know that you do get my point. Mm. Because it's been driven so hard. We have taught so much theory. Mm. In haven't got put practice to it this is what you do this is what you do this is this is how it works and so for me i I was teaching a um an amt advanced ministry ministry training class which is like if the school ministry students who are 18 to 75 years old if they want to grow in a certain subject like counseling or prophecy they can take these you know amts and so i was doing that for Uh, second year students and I was talking about forgiveness and I said what's your process for forgiving so they're raising their hands and I'd call on them and someone said uh I give it to Jesus and said I like that how how do you give it to Jesus Hmm. and they said well I nail it to the cross and I said okay tell me how because that's not an instruction.
0: Mm. That's a cliche in that instance.
1: They couldn't tell me. No one in that room. I said, can anyone in this room tell me how to nail something to the crowd? They couldn't do it. Mm. So, again, I know I'm beating it, beating a uh, a drone, beating the dead horse, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I really want people to stop and look at the cliches that you've learned your whole entire life. Do you know how to actually implement it? Because mm. it makes... You know, fire, cover, uh, move, cover, fire. That's great if you know how to do it. Mm -hmm. If you don't, then you're just talking about tactics that you have no idea how to implement. Mm -hmm. You have no idea. Love your wife. Great. Well, that's not, that is a, that has action. So here's my thought is you guys need to know how to find their needs and they need to know how to work through pain. And when you learn how to work through pain that has a forgiveness component in it, Mm -hmm. and it has the, okay, I'm going to nail this to the cross component in it. And I'll give some steps if you want. Um, Because I feel like, um, well, let me just give you the steps. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's practical
0: is, I think, you know, if we could get really concrete on this, this would be great.
1: I'm going to. So to me, there's five steps for processing pain. And The first one is uh, process. Mm. It's actually pick one thing, Mm. one feeling, one emotion, one one need that went unmet that you're like, oh my gosh, something that violated you, pick one thing. Because a lot of guys get overwhelmed. Everybody gets overwhelmed when we say, I freaking hate my dad because he did all these things. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Okay, take one thing and begin to focus on that thing. Step two, begin to write about it Hmm. or um, type, you know, somehow, or talk about it or write a song about it. Somehow you have to mold that thing over. You got to get into it, embody it, and Hmm. don't try and get out of it. When you, when you avoid pain, you know, time doesn't heal. Time Hmm. is a revealer. Hmm. Otherwise people in prisons would be the most whole people. They just have the most time. Yeah but time is a revealer. So we, the process with time heals. So we want to sit in that moment. And so like through, through my divorce, I would remember one moment, Mm. like maybe my wedding day, you know, when you go, when you're in a divorce, everything that was really happy flips to really sad. So my wedding day, I can Mm. remember the day that that I remembered her walking down the aisle. I was crushed. Mm. And so I ran up into my office. I was at work. I'm having this memory of our wedding day. I'm in the middle of my divorce. I run upstairs. I'm bawling.
2: Mm.
1: I turn my lights off in my office. I put on really sad music. Not happy music because I'm not happy. Mm. I put on sad music and I begin to write. I begin to type. Mm. I'm not writing, oh, I'm so thankful for you. Mm -hmm. I'm saying. That'd be
0: betraying what you feel like in that moment.
1: In that moment, I'm going, this is how I feel. It's not a commentary on your character. So when you're typing something out like that or writing something out like that, it's not a commentary on your character. It's commentary on how you feel. So for a lot of the time, you know, if someone doesn't read your journal and question your Christianity, you're not being honest. Hmm. Wow. So I'm sitting wow. there I hadn't writing. I thought about that. Man. And I'm going, this, how dare you? How could you? I'm blaming you. I'm blah, I'm getting it out. Hmm. I'm getting it out, which maybe I'm on step three now. Like I'm processing it. At some point, I've cried, I'm angry, I'm processing. In between typing, I'm crying so hard, I can't type. Mm-hmm. Then I get back to typing and I'm crying. I'm painting this beautiful picture while mm-hmm. listening to sad music on repeat. I get to a point where I'm exhausted. an hour in, I'm exhausted. It feels a little bit like you're naked because you've cried so much
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you've processed so much. There's almost nothing left. I've said so much. There's almost nothing left to say because you can only say it so many times if you're mm-hmm. staying on one thing. Mm. And I finally got to the point where I'm like, "What are you, my, I heard myself say, what are you going to do about this piece right here? And I'll tell you what this piece is. Now, that's when I was at first talking to her. Then I switched to talking to God Mm.
2: because
1: once you get out of all the judgment, all the crap, Mm -hmm. f you screw you, how Mm -hmm. dare you, all the judgment, you come to this place where you realize what's driving that pain. Mm. What was driving that pain wasn't the fact that she wasn't with me. What was driving that specific pain and that specific memory was who's going to want me. Mm. I gave my vows away. One time, I saved myself for you. I gave you something I can't ever get back. I can never give to another person. I didn't realize how specific it was, and I didn't realize how angry I was Mm. that I felt betrayed in that. It was very specific. Mm. So that was the piece that I needed to bring to God. Not this whole thing of not all my judge this one piece. What are you going to do? The only guy that can do anything about this piece right here. What are you going to do about my innocence that I gave away that I cannot get back? My vows that I gave away that I can't get back. What do I do about that? I feel so angry. Obviously, look at what I wrote towards her. I feel so angry, Mm. so powerless in that. That is the moment where God went, boom, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Holy crap. I'm sitting there, I'm typing, I'm sitting here. I'm actually asking, what are you going to do about that? And he goes, here's what I'm going to do about that. He gives me a promise. Mm. When he gave me that promise, I can, honest to God, I I could breathe. Mm. I could breathe. I was like, okay. Now, from that place where I actually met with God, however guys work it out for themselves, Mm. where I met with God, and he met that need that I have. All of a sudden, I was able to go, okay, I'm on, I'm on like step four. I know I'm not giving guys great steps right here, but just stick with me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm processing the pain. I'm hearing what God's uh, – I, I find the need. That's step four, find the need. Mm-hmm. What's actually driving this? Mm-hmm. And then step five, you're going to give that to God.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So step four, uh, what's the need? Get, sorry, give that to God. Step five, how do you see the person – that hurt me could be yourself could be somebody else oftentimes most often it's somebody else because here's the thing once god met that need for me i no longer had judgment towards her mm-hmm. for that one instance
0: that's a great that's a great perspective because there's a lot of times that people say oh i've forgiven that person or i've forgiven myself i mean i, I think ultimately a pathway of forgiveness and we probably can't go in too much into the weeds in this. I think that ultimately we walk through because of the trauma that we face in our life. And those of us who are, who are in Christ, I think that we go through and there's times where we need to forgive God. We need to forgive ourselves, and we also need to forgive others because if something happened to us and God knew it, I'm not saying that he, that, that he says, Hey, I want to make sure that I want to do that. That's not God. God is not like that. He's not fickle and he's not wrathful upon his children. However, he does allow certain things to happen in our lives to be used as character-defining things for us. And we we see that in the scriptures of, of that's how that's how God ultimately works with a lot of people. You know, you could use the example of Jacob. And Jacob was, he, he had the birthright and blessing in this Old Testament. You guys can look this up in Genesis 36. He had the birthright and blessing, but he didn't know what to do with it until... God wrestled with him, and not Jacob wrestling with God until God wrestled with Jacob. Right. And then after that, Jacob walked away changed. Yeah. It, was a, it was this transition from false self to true self. The Apostle Paul had the same thing when he was, when he was you know, had scales in his eyes, and he was blind, and he yeah. says, I was blind, now I can see. It's the same dynamic, Old Testament, New Testament, and it's a similar thing that we we're talking about.
1: Yeah, when you get to a point where you are able to go, this is really what I need. And God meets you in that moment, uh, the judgment that you once held towards the other person, you you're holding it for a reason. You're holding them mm-hmm. rancid, a ransom for a reason because you're mm-hmm. trying to get your need met. Well, mm-hmm. once God meets that need, then it my what I where I go from there is Holy Spirit, how do you see the person that hurt me? Mm-hmm. Right? Because I want to have compassion. Compassion kills judgment, mm-hmm. but it also goes the other way around. Con- judgment kills compassion.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So what I did is I said, God, Holy Spirit, or how do you see her? He showed me. Boom. It was almost instant. Boom. Again, my needs already met. From that place, me seeing her, how God sees her, that's where I go back. Mm. All the things that I said, F you, I hate you, how dare mm. you, I forgive you for that. And I'm turning over every stone. Mm. I'm turning over all those stones. Boom, mm. boom, 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 boom. Well, I just did that thousands of times. Not mm-hmm. the same one, but the memories.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's really incredible advice. I hope the guys are, are tracking with that because that's how you know if you've really forgiven them. A lot of times guys go through and they say, oh, I've forgiven them. But yet they, they're, if they're still harboring resentment, hostility, bitterness, I mean I could, I could take you to the Bible that says that the bitterness, the root of bitterness leads to anger, rage, malice, slander. And then here's like a catch-all phrase, and every evil thing. Evil thing. Yeah, and then the and then the follow up verse. That's that's it, actually Ephesians four thirty one four thirty two. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving just as God's forgiven you. So there's an interesting thing by asking that question. That how do you see that person now? Ultimately, is is kind of like the the spiritual X ray, if you will, to say, have I really forgiven them, or is this just my way of coping with the pain? Because Forgiveness is not just a way of coping with the pain. It's after the pain has been coped with and healed, then we can forgive.
1: Exactly. And, uh, you know, I always say this, like, sure, maybe the first level of forgiveness is choice, where, like, Mm. I'm choosing to. That's great. That's awesome. Your heart posture is great. But forgiveness is not a blanket. Mm -hmm. And we've been taught that forgiveness is a blanket again in the church, not, not outwardly, but, you know, come forward, somebody gets saved, come forward, and you Mm -hmm. pray the sinner's prayer. I forgive everyone who's ever wronged me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Jesus, would you forgive me? And and we take this blanket, right? And we throw it over the believer, who's now the believer, Mm -hmm. and then they go home. And a week later, they go, well, wait, I still feel the same way I felt about my dad molesting me. I still feel the same way. Mm -hmm but I have to forgive him because Jesus forgave me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And that, that little boy or that little girl inside of them is saying, well, how do I reconcile that? Mm -hmm. Because that took something from me. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I I
1: forgive that guy who molested me or that guy who raped me, or I forgive myself for, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, sleeping with somebody, taking advantage of somebody. Mm -hmm. And we don't ever teach anybody how, we rarely teach people how to sit down, process it, Find what the need is. Literally, give that to God in a conversation. God gives you the answer for that. Mm-hmm. Then you find compassion. Then you genuinely release them. Mm-hmm. Okay, that one is gone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Eat well, sleep well, exercise, have fun, fill yourself up, process again later on mm-hmm. next week.
0: Yeah, this is this is really helpful, and and it you know it does take time. So while it seems it, it, it the. Instructions are, are simple. They're pretty straightforward, but yet the process is not easy, right? Because at the end of the day, you're saying one thing. So, I mean, in, in someone's life, we face all sorts of trauma, you know, I, I've whether it's, it's a divorce or, or uh, stuff that happened like, you know, father issues. I mean, just about every guy well, I don't want to necessarily put words of thoughts in people's heads, but most of the guys that I've had interactions with, there's some sort of father wound, and I'm talking even dads who were trying hard, who were who were who were doing the very best. The reality is we were we were raised by men and not by Jesus, so there, you know, there's trauma there. So it's handling that one thing, and I think that your advice is solid because it addresses the one thing at a time, and now you can use the same principle. Okay, there's a, maybe another layer of trauma. You don't have to just whitewash it and just throw a blanket over it like you're talking about and ignore it. Cause that doesn't work. That, that simply doesn't no.
1: work. It doesn't. And here's the thing. There's a lot of stuff that the Lord did go back and just heal. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, you know, and who's to say that somebody doesn't get saved I've seen it happen and at the altar, they really do. God comes in and does something that he didn't do for me in certain areas. That's fine. He's yeah. also not afraid of the process. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to discredit somebody who, had a Saul to Paul encounter Mm -hmm. and, you know, all those different examples that we see, but we also shouldn't be afraid of the process because life's a process and and we are going from cliche glory to glory Mm -hmm. and we are uh, renewing our mind and we are changing the way that we think. And part of that is when you get really, uh, I'll say this, when you start to go through a process where you're looking at one thing at a time, Mm -hmm. did I go through, did I absolutely go through my whole entire marriage and process everything no at at some point at some point i think at some point my body went we're good Mm -hmm. like these big things you know your innocence your word Mm -hmm. um the betrayal am i good enough the big things that i actually really cared about i feel like Yeah. So there's probably, I mean, there's probably a hundred of those probably Mm -hmm. wasn't thousands. There's probably a hundred of those Mm -hmm. big things, but you know, you spread a hundred out by it's, it took me about seven months Mm -hmm. of processing to work through 12 years of relationship.
0: Right. And that, and that's even with God sparing you of the thousand things, you know, just using just Obviously, yeah. just kind of like absurd numbers, but if it's a hundred things you work through in seven years after, or excuse seven. me, seven months of of those years of marriage, that's one thing. And I think God spares us. I believe that. I, I, not that I just think God spares us to yeah. to to go through and process every little dink and donk thing that's ever happened to us. Don't. And sometimes God's just like exactly like you're saying, Jay. It's like, hey, you know what? You're not. That's good. That's God's grace to us. All right. If it's just saying. Yeah, there's some big things. You're going to work through these big things. But you know what? All those little things, I'm going to spare you. Those are going to be just kind of washed away in this moment. And now let's look at this other big thing. Because if not, yeah. we would always be in a place of of want. and We yeah. would always be in a place of brokenness. And in ultimately, in not living the abundant life like Jesus talks about. Thanks for listening to the New Kind of Man podcast. You've been given some good manly encouragement, and now it's your turn. If you found today's content helpful, go tell a friend, and please leave us a review. Also, consider hitting that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. Now it's time for all of us to do what Theodore Roosevelt said. Create. Act. Get action. Do things. Be sane. Don't fritter away your time. Take a place wherever you are and be somebody. Get action.